0: Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. In this episode, I'm joined by Ari Supran, CEO of Sonance, iPort, and James Loudspeaker in San Clemente, California. We've known each other for more than 15 years, going back to his days at Lutron. Were both yankees and georgia bulldogs fans which is a pretty rare combination for sports fans i promise i won't turn this into a sports podcast because i really want to discuss an impressive new invisible style speaker from sonance that i heard demoed the other day all right thanks for joining me on the podcast
1: great to be here jeremy great to see you
0: good to see you too and uh i i definitely want to just touch on what this the speaker is that i'm talking about it was something i saw um, had an introduction virtually during virtual CEDIA this year, um, and I was able to have a demo with your Midwest sales manager Dan. Uh, is it Dusak? Yes, mm-hmm. Dusek. Um, Who gave me one of my first in-person meetings, which is uh, always dicey these days, but uh, we kept a safe distance, and I, yeah, yeah. I was able to get a technical break breakdown on on all the um, on the new. Features of this product, and I want to get into that later. But I first wanted to kind of get to know you better, or at least have our audience get to know you better. So, um, you know, we 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 kind of got to know each other. I'd say um, about twenty years ago, maybe f- fifteen to twenty years ago, okay. um, we were at a CD if I recall properly, and I had had dinner. Reservations fall through or plans fall through. And I ran into you and Jason Sloan, who's also at Sonance, obviously, uh, at a CDA expo. I think it was Indianapolis. And uh, you guys were going in to dinner and invited me along. And it was one of those moments where I went from knowing you guys as business associates to kind of becoming friends. So I just wondered if, how much you remember yeah, to that. I, night. I
1: remember well. You know, uh, Jason and I have been working together at two different companies now for nearly 20 years. Um, and uh, he's really tall, as you know, so it's uh, always easy to find him, and yeah. uh, he, he, he probably led that charge, but uh, I do remember, I remember uh, telling some Lutron stories, so we, I, we might have just joined Sonance around that time and, uh, and and got to get to know you a little bit better, and it was, it was you know, certainly one of the great CDM memories of just not being a salesperson or a customer and, and, and just hanging out. It was really Right,
0: cool. right, and, and sharing mutual friends with Melissa Andresco, who... Yes, missy. Missy, I've known her since almost the beginning of when I started in the industry and she's one of those, those people being um, on the PR marketing side who just really uh, always made me feel, you know, connected to Lutron and sure. you guys work together. So we, we shared yeah, some I, fun stories about her too.
1: Yes, absolutely. I remember her first day at Lutron right out of college and uh, um, working with her for many years and she's just done an amazing job for Lutron as their spokesperson and I'm really proud of her. Um,
0: yeah, absolutely. She's done great. Um, well let's talk about Luchon a little bit because uh, obviously we were going to dive into sonance here uh, as we go but uh, I, I just looking back you were there uh, what from 1995 to 2001 and then you went uh, off to colombia to, to work on your MBA which is uh impressive in its own right uh, and then came back correct uh, around 2003
1: yes. pulled me back in that's right
0: oh yeah so you had you had planned you, you didn't necessarily plan on leaving and coming back that just kind of that's right yeah no i
1: I, going all the way back to my undergrad i i thought i wanted to do marketing someday i kind of asked around how do you get into marketing oh you you know it helps to have an mba how do you get an mba well you got to work first and what what should i do and what kind of jobs and somebody said something about sales and i started looking when i was graduating undergrad from a little liberal arts college in upstate new york called colgate university Mm -hmm. and um long story short is i i uh found a New York Times ad for a job that did not list the company name. It just said a sales job in technology. Um, I applied, I found out it was Lutron. I had I didn't know what Lutron was when I was a senior in college. Um, and I remember calling home, talking to my mom and dad and I mentioned it and my dad said, I know that company. My dad was a food scientist and he had been on a uh, committee of um scientists picking a most innovative company of the year and he had come to coopersburg and interviewed and toured lutron and met mr spira hmm. and um he remembered it and said i th- he thought i didn't you know find it interesting and i should go on the interview and and i did and uh started at lutron right out of school in 1995 in their rotational training program and um yeah seven years there and as you said i, I did leave i was uh, not planning to come back Uh, Lutron didn't, um, sort of push me to get the MBA. They, they, they they felt like I could learn, uh, plenty there, but I had already had seven years of of work experience. I decided that I I didn't know where I ultimately wanted to be and what I wanted to do. I didn't feel like I needed the MBA, but I just didn't want to ever be told, well, you can't have that job without an MBA. Mm. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to go and and I had saved some money and I'm going to go full-time. Um, and, uh, I I did that for two years and as I was graduating, uh, the president of Lutron at the time, John Longendurfer contacted me and and Kathy Leslie and said uh, they were getting uh, serious about putting some more marketing teams together and would I be interested in coming back? And and we worked something out and I rejoined Lutron coming out of my MBA in 2003, 2004 timeframe and spent two more years uh, at Lutron before I met the founder of Sonance, Scott Struthers. Um, at an AIA convention in Las Vegas. And um, at the time he was just starting to shift the company back to his roots of design mm-hmm. and asked around of what brands know the sort of are at the intersection of the A and D community, architects and designers, and the Cedia community. Okay. And everyone said, well, Lutron. And so he came to that show uh, hoping to meet some people from Lutron. And um, I was lucky enough to be introduced to him and We've had a, a tremendous relationship ever since
0: so it was kind of a uh, get to know each other and then did a job open up after that or did he pretty much say hey come to work for me <laughs>
1: uh, you know if you know anything about scott it was uh it was i wasn't sure for quite a while you know he it started with uh show me around the booth and i thought i would someone said he might be interested in a homework system for his house so i, oh, I showed him around the booth but then he started asking me you no know, personal questions. So what do you like to do for fun? And I, w- I had just gotten married, if I recall, and we were about to go on our honeymoon. we talked about travel. and he stayed in touch for a few months, and, and uh, later I found out that they had had a candidate for a role already, but he um, was kind of keeping me in mind, and that fell through and, and I, he called me and I flew out and uh, took the job shortly after.
0: So what was that first job with Sonance? Yeah, it was the uh,
1: chief sales officer, um, which... uh, uh, you know you already mentioned Jason Sloan I mean, um, anybody who knows Jason Sloan knows he's a far better sales leader and manager than I'll ever be um, and so right away I told Scott you know if, if, if I come there's there's someone else at Lutron that um, may actually be leaving the company at some point soon and, and we'd be interested I'd be interested in staying together as a team and hmm. we, we hired Lutron uh, sorry Jason about three months after I joined sonance um, okay. Uh, we joked that it was a package deal, but it wasn't quite, um, and, uh, and quickly, uh, pretty soon after that, Jason took over uh, real sales leadership. Um, a few years later, I became the chief operating officer, and then in 2009, kind of at the depths of the recession, um, the CEO at the time who came from another industry uh, went back to that industry, and um, I think they decided I would learn the rest on the job, and I became CEO at, uh, uh,
0: in 2009. Yeah, that's a pretty quick climb once you get there it seems to me I mean it may not have been for you really know, and
1: it was I think there was a longer term plan and, and and I think that that um, the the timing of it all got accelerated with with what was going on in the economy in the world and and, mm-hmm. uh, and and the CEO at the time Sean's uh, decision to go back into the beverage industry and um, yeah I mean it uh, I'm still learning today, so it's a it's a long journey. Um, but uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I, I've uh, I learned so much at Lutron uh, coming into the role, um, just how to take care of customers and how to take care of people, build teams, and innovate, and just core values of. of that I still hold true to today. And I think the biggest difference was when Jason and I came over to Sonam's, there was no, uh, bureaucracy telling us what we couldn't, couldn't do. So all the problems that we faced, um, which were in many ways greater than any problems we faced at Lutron. The difference was they were completely in our control to change. Mm. Uh, and, uh, there were certainly some, some bumps in the road. Uh, it was Jason and I joined the company and, uh, culture changes from us coming from the East coast and all sorts of things like that. But um, uh, you know, the company was well on its way to, to uh, bringing out this sort of aesthetic design strategy already. And, and I think Jason and I came in right at the right time with our knowledge from Lutron and accelerated that um, and built and built an amazing team. And uh, um, I, we've had our executive team together now going on almost 10 years uh, together. And um, uh, the team that we have built, uh, throughout our organization is something that uh, I'm incredibly proud of, and I think is the key to um, getting us where we have where we are today, and and what's going to take us into the future.
0: Well, I mean, two great companies, Lutron and Sonance, frankly, uh, from my experience, but two completely different kinds of companies from a cultural standpoint. Um, from my obs- observations at a distance, I may be, you know, exaggerating, but um, you know, to to be. Uh to to be just kind of fair with it, I, I would say Lutron's is more of a button-down type of environment. Um suit wearing, you know, yes. when suits weren't really being worn that often. And uh yes. and then you go out to you're you're, you know, on the west coast, you're in Southern California, um uh, uh, albeit in, in Nixon country. <laughs> um, but still it's a very, very uh different world when you're near the ocean out there and uh and I wonder were the sizes of companies a lot different, or were yeah, they
1: completely different. Um, I would say uh, Lutron was probably ten times the size of Sonance at that at the time I joined. Um, somewhere in that range, maybe even more. Um, and uh, culture is certainly different. Yeah, I mean, there was actually a, a vicious rumor when I first joined Sonance uh, that went through the sales force that I was going to be leading, that I was gonna institute a suit and tie policy. Oh boy. Um, the irony of it is, is that I hate wearing suits and ties. <laughs> I've, I've had probably uh, in 15 years, maybe three or four occasions and unfortunately a few of those were funerals. So uh, um, definitely uh, I was I was excited to, to get into a more casual environment. Um, And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, at Sonance we're we've really built a a team that's very much a family and, uh, it really feels that way. Um, and it's just a different, more casual, um, not just attire, but, but, uh, in our, in our interactions with each other. Um, and something I think that we were able to build the way we wanted it to be
0: well i i, I want to definitely continue that uh, part of our conversation about sonance but something mm-hmm. we didn't really touch on which i always like to talk about on these podcasts is a little bit about a person's background before they even got into the industry before even college and what were you like as a kid were you um were you science minded like your dad or yeah. yeah i was um
1: i was definitely science and math minded um and uh I didn't know what I wanted to do, though, which is what what I I didn't want to be a scientist. It was Mm -hmm. more about technology that I was interested in. Um, And so I decided to go to a liberal arts college, which, you know, looking back, I I, I feel like was a great move for me because I feel like what a liberal arts education did is it sort of teaches you how to learn. Mm. Um, and, And it's not so much, you know, I was a geography, sociology, double major, not Disciplines I use in my business career, um, but it, it really was a foundation of of learning and um, working in teams. And and uh, you know, then later in life, seven years later, going going to get the MBA was all right. I, I need some some hardcore business skills to add to my passion for for the industry.
0: Sure, yeah, I mean, an MBA is not that typical in the residential tech space um, necessarily, and there are more and more companies that are getting. A bit more corporate, sort of centric or professional in that way. So I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but um, what do you feel like that uh, that degree, that to, to go back to not only you know to get an MBA, but to get an MBA from an Ivy League school, which is a pretty impressive feat, I would say. Um, what what do you feel like that has brought to running a, an audio company, a loudspeaker company. Yeah.
1: I mean, what I wanted to do when I got my MBA is, I, I, I thought, I knew I loved this industry, particularly the CI and, and its intersection with architects and designers. I didn't, it wasn't like I need an MBA to do this job. I just didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and and uh, I don't come, I didn't come back into the workforce and, and think I was somehow different and smarter or, or, or somehow that my MBA specifically was gonna help me. Um, I think in many ways, it's been more of a backdrop of, of thinking, like, for, I'll give you an example. Prior to going to get my MBA, I thought of marketing as a purely creative endeavor. Um, and what I learned in business school is that there's a lot of math to marketing um, and, and uh, being able to do, and product management and break-even analysis and all sorts of uh, uh, aspects of it like that. And, and I think the other thing I learned in, in school that has helped me is just how important um, leadership is and team building teams. Um, sure. I, I, those are the things that stick with me. Okay. Um, even though I went to a pretty hardcore finance school, I don't consider myself a, a finance guru. And I have a, an amazing uh, CFO, chief operating officer, Pat McGon, that we've uh, partnered with and, and we complement each other really well. and been working together for, I don't know, 13 years now.
0: Great, well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll dive right back into Sonant's stuff um, sure. here in a minute, but first we'll, we'll take a short break and uh, continue our conversation with Ari Supran when we get back. This episode of Residential Tech Talks is brought to you by Ring, home security systems and smart home automation. Get protection at every corner with their intelligent security cameras, alarm systems, and video doorbells. Receive notifications when motion is detected or check on your home anytime with live view in the Ring app. Help keep your neighborhood safer with the Neighbors app to share information and discuss safety concerns in this hyper-local social networking platform. Ring's mission is simple, make neighborhoods safer. Discover all the smart home security products by Ring. Go to ring.com. Welcome back. I'm talking to Sonant CEO, Ari Supran. All right, I've, uh, I've teased the Invisible uh, series uh, speaker enough. I think we should uh, kind of talk about that now. That's the latest development. We can sure. continue talking about some of the philosophies of the company as well, but, uh, but let's, uh, let's get, give the people what they want. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, what what um, I was impressed with when I got the demo, I, I had been given a little bit of the background in my virtual um, introduction to the product. Uh, I've seen a lot of invisible. It's sort of funny. I've seen a lot of invisible speakers. I've, I've, uh, I've had descriptions given of them. I've, I've seen them at trade shows and they're basically designed to be put into the wall where you can't see them. You're painted. They're painted over the whole thing. Um, and I'll let you explain it because you do it all the time. Um, but this one, it sounds like a normal speaker when you're in the room. It doesn't sound like there's any compromise to the audio quality and i just wondered if you could kind of explain how that's accomplished
1: sure well i'm pleased you got a both a a effective and safe demo from uh uh, our yep. team—that's—that's that's exciting to hear. It's been—it's been an adventure trying to get a product out, launch a product virtually, um, deploy demo kits out to our field team, being able to do safe demonstrations. A lot of them have been done outdoors, um, but um, we've gotten creative in many ways. But before talking a little bit about how we arrived at, at an invisible speaker that sounds the way it does, I mean, I think it's important to understand why invisible is so important to us at plexonics okay. so, You know, if you go all the way back to the the creation of the company and Scott Struthers, and, and he didn't set out to, to start a speaker company. It was a design solution. It was about hiding technology and architecture. And, and fast forward, you know, 38 years later, and, and we're, you know, distilling our brand down, as, as some of you might know, we, we had used the name Dean Innovations for a little while, and we got back to Sonance as the parent brand over everything we do and we defined what what does Sonance stand for and we came up with these brand pillars. The first and most important one is designed to disappear and and that's what we it's in our DNA. Um, it's what propels us and we kind of we had to ask ourselves, we might be maybe one of the largest manufacturers of designed to disappear audio, but are we the best and you know took a look in the mirror and said, you know, there's some specialty manufacturers out there that do things that we don't. Um, sometimes it was some capabilities like customization, like the James loudspeaker brand. Uh, and other times it was some specialty manufacturers who focused day in, day out on a category like invisible speakers. And quite frankly, had leapfrogged us in technology It's mm. something that we did as one of many categories. Um, and so when we asked ourselves those questions, you know, we, we, we quickly said, we need to solve these things um, if we want to maintain our position in the market and grow. Uh, and and we asked ourselves, you know, should we build or buy? Right, classic mm-hmm. business question. And um, and we had different answers for the two different things. Right, for the, for, for customization. To build it ourselves, there's a, a 15 years of history of database that James Loudspeaker has of all the custom products they've made. They have so many, not just the machinery, but the the knowledge and know-how, the people, the team, the culture of craftsmanship and creativity that we don't have. Uh, we're not constituted that way to have a factory with a wood shop and a machine shop and a paint booth and So so fortunately, we were able to put that merger together and we acquired James Loudspeaker uh, the beginning of 2020. Um, And uh, that deal took a while to put together. And and around that time, about two years ago, when we were contemplating that, we we set off on developing new invisible speakers and said, we don't need to buy. What we need to do is just give our engineering team the time, the time to analyze why is it that Aspects of our invisible current at that time current line of invisible speakers didn't perform to our own expectations and what was the feedback we were hearing and what was the competition doing Um, and ultimately by giving them that time we were able to take a very scientific methodical approach to understand um, what the the, the landscape was, and then to start building upon that knowledge. Um, And using sophisticated um, technology in the development of the product, not necessarily just in the product, but testing equipment. Um, One of the the most important ones would be the the Clipple laser distortion analyzer and how we've always used that to produce, not always, over the last seven or six or seven years to produce our traditional cone-based speakers. Um, this, This is a device that magnifies the movement of the driver like a thousand times and using a laser allows us to measure how smoothly the driver moves. Um, and and how little distortion it creates and be able to design the product using that tool. Well, that tool wasn't designed to be used with flat panel speakers like an invisible speaker. Mm. And so our chief speaker designer, Todd Ryan, worked closely with Clipple um, and we, in a proprietary way, modified that tool to be able to be used with invisible flat panel technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was one of the keys to unlocking how to get uh, full range sound. And ultimately, through that development, we, and, and I'm so pleased by this because, you know, while we do have competitors in lots of different categories, we, we try to keep a sort of an infinite horizon, right? It's not about beating the competition. And when I joined the company, it was kind of a Coke and Pepsi with Speakercraft. And, you know, if we had stopped when we felt like we had uh, maybe surpassed where Speakercraft was back in 08, 09, or wherever, we, what would we do next? And so I don't like to think about it in terms of competition. And when we asked our our engineering team, um, clearly we need to give them enough time to make sure we did beat whatever invisible speakers were out there. But we Mm -hmm. set a, 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 a bigger goal. How do we make an invisible speaker that is no compromise acoustically? And how do we do it with better installation or an easier way to install it or a more scientific way to verify whether it was installed correctly. Because right. even with the best invisible speaker, if it's not installed correctly, i.e. they put too much topping compound or mud on the face of the speaker, mm-hmm. you're not going to have the same result that you're expecting. Um, and so by giving uh, our team that time, we we are able to, to develop a product that we believe, and, and let me be clear uh, to all your listeners, don't take my word for it. Call your Sonance rep and get a demo. It has to be heard to truly be believed of what we can do. And when we give a demo, um, and I'm not sure if this is the way you got your demo, is we're not just playing a pair of invisible speakers. We're not playing it against the competition. We're playing it against our flagship 8-inch VP or visual performance VP86 speaker. And we're comparing our invisible speaker at roughly the same price point to a completely visible speaker. And it absolutely performs in a similar way, arguably even more base with a larger diaphragm to move, clear articulate highs. And we're, we're able to, some some customers are saying it sounds better than a VP86. Some are saying it sounds as good. The fact that we're even talking about that, we feel is a win. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really, to us, not about taking market share from the other uh, invisible speaker manufacturers. Although I, I suspect some of that will happen, it's about expanding the market, about making products like invisible speakers and products like James small aperture speakers as the standard, as what integrators lead with when they're in high-end homes. Um, and, and I think that's really the opportunity that we have in front of us. And, and that's the feedback we're getting from you know initial returns are um, almost too good to be to be believed. So we're we're really excited.
0: One of the things that Dan mentioned to me that I hadn't realized was that uh, you should think about these as as an in-ceiling solution, and Absolutely. they really they really fill the room and they clear the walls of any obstruction or um, problems. Because I always thought of them as an in-wall solution. The invisible the
1: majority are, are, are done in-ceiling. One of the main advantages of invisible speakers is because they're invisible, you don't need to line them up with lighting cans. You don't need. To, there's so many advantages, and because of the technology, the dispersion is nearly 180 degrees. So by if if you have three or uh, you know a uh, three pair in a ceiling of a large room, you don't need to have them all in a row aesthetically or acoustically, and they'll mm-hmm. fill that room with even balanced coverage, creating a really comfortable listening environment, but still be able to because they're highly efficient be able to um, fill a, a large room with deep, full, rich sound. Um, before I forget on the on the installation side, yeah. you know, one of the, as I mentioned earlier, one of the big uh, challenges there is the installer or a custom installer rarely is the one actually installing invisible speakers, right? Because a drywall contractor has to come in that works for the GC and and, and uh, the integrator comes to test it afterwards and, and if they're, is too much mud on the product. There's really not a way to have a quantifiable or scientific conversation with the contractor and say, hey, uh, this is four millimeters and we need less than three, let's say. Um, And so we were looking for some ways to solve that. And, um, you know, uh, I, 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 well, pre-COVID, I I traveled back to New York uh, area where I'm I'm from New Jersey originally and made the rounds of the dealers there. and, And it's a big market for invisible. And I kept hearing that, uh, Invisible was growing and taking the share from traditional speakers. And one of those integrators, uh, um, you know, really, really pushed me on an idea that it's rare that, um, at Sonance that we're able to take a customer's input and incorporate it into a product, but, um, will shout out to Larry Abrams at audio interiors in hop hog New York, who was, uh, mm. One night we had dinner in the city and maybe caught some music afterwards, and he was poking me about this idea, which was to borrow some technology from the automotive industry of a depth gauge that could precisely measure the depth of a topping material on top of metal. And we were able to put some, um, we call it the Sonance disc system, embed into our invisible speakers in the corners some um, discs that may, made up with a special sensor that's calibrated to measure the amount of topping compound over those discs. So if they've been installed and, um, sanded and there's run a straight edge across it, that if they can take a measurement at two of the corners and they're both, let's say 1.5 millimeters and 1.8 millimeters, we got a pretty good idea that right in the center of the diaphragm, there's somewhere between 1.5 and 1.8 millimeters of, of, of topping compound. And so we were able to incorporate that into the product and, um, he wanted me to name it the Larry, um, but we, <laughs> we decided to call it the Sonance disk system. And, uh, <laughs>
0: good good um, choice.
1: But thank you, Larry, uh, for your idea. And uh, we're excited to, to get it out there and, uh, and, and and enable integrators to have quantifiable conversations about whether the product was installed right.
0: Yeah. I mean, when when I saw that part of the the uh, explanation that during CD, I, I was just amazed at uh, the thought that went into that. So that's a great, great question call by larry and uh yeah. um and then i got to see it in person and and was even more impressed and had frankly kind of forgotten about that part of the conversation because i knew from a performance standpoint it was supposed to be so impressive and i was looking forward to i am like oh that's the other thing that was so yeah, cool yeah. yeah so um so you got so to really, hear
1: sort of the workhorse of the line i bet because those are the demo kits the is8 but it's actually a line of products there's a okay an is6 an 8 and a 10 Um, and going up in size and size of woofer. Um, There's also two subwoofer models, a a new one that uh, uh, I think is pretty ambitious. We've got a 15 inch invisible subwoofer or woofer. um, And we expect that to not only be used with our invisible products, uh, enabling us to recommend for the first time invisible speakers in a surround sound application. Um, where we have not in the past, mm. um, and, but also being able to pair that with visible speakers and be able to add bass augmentation low in a wall to in-ceiling speakers in the ceiling, um, but have an invisible woofer that just really changes the opportunities and options that integrators have.
0: Yeah, and we uh, we got a chance to visit. Uh, I guess it was uh, over a year ago when I came out to mm-hmm. to your headquarters, your relatively new um, facility there, and uh it it, again it was one of those great great memories because uh, i was on my way in and um mike cleary mike cleary who works with you called me to check on my progress and you know freeway traffic which wasn't great of course because it's la and he said don't worry i'll have a beer waiting for you when you get here and that that to me was like the most welcoming thing i could hear at that moment in time as i sat out in this like arid desert looking area um (laughs) And uh, and I know that's a cultural thing with you guys. You have this great facility. You you host so many different people in non-COVID days. Uh Um, How are you doing as far as managing um, that type of that part of your company, where you really have this charm offensive that's really great, um, and you can't do it anymore. You turned off the beer beer taps. You know. Um, It must be frustrating, um, yeah. the, you know, of, of all the all big things that we're dealing with. But I mean, that, that must be a minor frustration for you. It
1: is isn't. it isn't. I mean, we, we had made a major investment in what we call the Sonance Studio. And, and, and lots of integrators have come out and visited us from all over the world um, pre-COVID. Um, and we had just, uh, as COVID hit, we were getting close to, uh, we were maybe halfway through a major remodel. So, she just moved in. Why would you remodel? Well, with the acquisition of James Loudspeaker, we needed to really rethink uh, some things and, and add James into the mix. And so, you know, we didn't let up at all, though. Once COVID hit, we, we had a skeleton crew of our own construction uh, team finish up much of that. And we're, we're getting close to finishing the rest of it. But we really were able to pivot quickly to doing um really like our, our national sales meetings. We did a live, uh, it's not just a webinar, but like a television broadcast practically Mm. and I think it was really well received and so what we're now doing is um, doing live tours of the studio for integrators and we've had a few uh, times where integrators were either visiting um, southern California or are based in southern California but maybe with an office someplace else and to have one of their team members live in our studio obviously wearing wearing a mask and being safe hearing the product but the rest of them on a uh, live zoom watching the tour and hearing the reactions of their colleague that works with them that mix has been really effective for us. Um, or will one of our regionals like Dan that you that gave you the demo will we'll go to an integrator, but then we'll zoom into our studio for a deep dive and, and have a Mike clear Jason Sloan walk them through um, where we've got all the props and so combining that um, local physical. Uh, mm-hmm. Presence with the online, and uh, it's it's really working well for us. And we had again, you know, lucky. We had started making the investments in a world-class videographer and mm. uh, photographer prior to COVID, and we we leaned on him and and built the team around him. Um, extremely talented team and and uh i think we're producing some of the best collateral we've ever produced um and being able to uh bring customers virtually into our building um you know it's not the same right um there's no no beer on tap flowing mm-hmm. and, and and those more casual conversations but we're uh we're making up for it where we can and and um just obviously looking forward to uh to getting through all this and 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 welcoming all of our customers and reps and and partners back to our facility again because as you said it's a that home court advantage is huge for us yeah. um because we get to uh not only demonstrate our products but we get to demonstrate our, our people and our culture and, and that's quite honestly the that's that's what wins the day
0: well and, and i also was pleased to have had a chance to meet the James team before they moved um, to their location when you acquired them. Uh, it, they're a unique group of people as well. And you mentioned the customization that they provide. And uh, I was just wondering how that, uh, that, that blend of, of, of team members kind of has been going since the beginning uh, of the year when you acquired uh, them. Great question.
1: Um, so yeah, they had actually moved from Napa Valley to uh, Minden, Nevada about a year before the acquisition um, happened. And uh, they um, one one thing I can tell you is they when they moved from Napa to Minden, they had 42 team members, and 40 of them picked up and moved with the company. Um, and that was a big indicator to us that they had a strong culture uh, mm-hmm. and a team there, and um, and that's exactly what we found. And I'll tell you, you know, we the the this this lockdown and crisis and not being able to travel has certainly been a, a challenge, but at the same time, it's been an accelerant as well, right? We're all virtual, not all of us. But it's a factory. We have a, a, a safe. Um, factory that we're running there but the executive team and we're able to to have more touch points now um, and so it's been going really well the the right, right away they only had really one salesperson keith park and he's now kind of joined our sales force and and the Sonant sales team um, is working with keith and managing both the james and sonance and iport and true brands um, with our with our manufacturers representatives and so that integration was you know, almost instantaneous. Um, and, and our marketing team has really stepped up in creating new collateral for James. And those were some of the things that Mark Schaeffel, um, the the president of James and, and my colleague now, that they just weren't going to be able to get to, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, build out a sales force, build out a showroom, up their marketing game. But their core Is all about is hardcore engineering, manufacturing, customization, which um, you know, quite frankly, especially the manufacturing and 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 customization aren't those aren't departments that we have. So there was no duplication of jobs. There was no massive layoffs. There and and then. I think going all the way back is understand why we acquired them. This wasn't the classic type of of acquisition, maybe in the world, if not our industry, where one company's trying to borrow on the brand or they're going to, you know, we already have a great brand. We bought a team and capabilities and we're pouring gas on those and doing as much as we possibly can to tell the world about what James is capable of. Um, and, uh, the, the, we're almost a year into the acquisition, uh, and, uh, just this past month, it just ended October, James had its all time highest revenue of any month ever. Um, and so, uh, all smiles all around on the team. And, um, you know, it's been, uh, it's been an, an adventure trying to, you know, obey governor's orders, be safe, take care of our team, continue to keep our, our, um, factory open through this. Uh, crisis we've, we've, we've done so safely um, and we've been able to do it all along while, while bringing these two teams together into one team um, and still giving back to our local communities. Um, we have a philanthropic arm and it's, it's been uh, growing during this crisis as, as obviously there are so so many people in need. Um, but our, our merger has gone extremely well so far. I'm very pleased at, at where we stand today um, and the market more importantly seems pleased with what we've done together.
0: Yeah. So, just to, to close on a further positive note and a trying time, uh, y- you've seen what I think a lot of us have seen, which is that uh, people are reinvesting in their homes. Your 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 opportunities with uh, uh, our industry to continue working through uh, COVID um, have been um, helpful for for a trade like this and uh, essential workers from the beginning. There, so um, y- you're you're seeing. More um, success on the residential side than the commercial side, though, correctly. That, that's that's kind of the one area where everyone has maybe seen a little dip is the commercial side. Yeah, but,
1: so commercial is something that we got serious about about three years ago and, and uh, developed a new line of products, the Sonath Professional Series, uh, and we're doing extremely well. We were doubling our sales kind of year in, year out. And, and it was really, we really felt like it was going to be a major growth driver uh, going into the future and what was gonna help the whole company continue to grow. Um, and and you know, our residential market was something we, we felt for Sonance was pretty mature. And we had our sights set on growing the James business um, and then COVID happened, and, and sort of the tables flipped. And again, I, I keep going back to how, how lucky and fortunate we are. Um, of course, I think we've been we've done a lot of good things to position ourselves well, but we got lucky in the sense that our residential business was far larger than our commercial business, um, and now it is uh, truly booming right now on a, on a sort of run rate basis. And um, yeah, I think that our commercial business were, were over indexing because we were on our way to taking some share from some of the big guys in that market. Um, but um, there's, you know, I looked down our pipeline, it was um, bars, restaurants, hotels. Airports, uh lots of lots of places that um hopefully will will we'll come back here in the in the next couple of years. But um we got a, a small but but really great commercial sales team and a, a set of uh, commercial reps. And I know we're 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 still growing, just not at those uh rates that we'd expected to.
0: And I'll I'll close uh on the part that I said I wouldn't uh dwell on too much, which is our sports fandom. Oh, that's right, yes uh clearly i lived in new york for 11 years you're from the new york area so the yankee fandom that makes a lot yeah. of sense i went to the university of georgia your dad went to the university of georgia yeah so card? um
1: my dad went to the university of georgia for three different degrees he ended up getting his phd in food science there and my mom um went to emory and uh was all set to go to grad school up in philadelphia when she met my dad at a, a wedding
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um i think the story is about seven days later, they got engaged and she transferred to University of Georgia. Okay. Um, and uh, in 2017, unfortunately, my, my dad passed away, right, as mm. the season, the right. college football season was starting. Um, but he said, uh, you know, this is the year, boys. And so my brother and I didn't go to major uh, powerhouse football colleges. And so we just kept our Georgia Bulldog uh, fandom that was probably uh, imprinted on us by my dad and Herschel Walker in 1980 and um when I was eight and uh and then through uh anyway so 2017 um when my dad passed away my mom said boys if the I think Georgia entered the season 13th and if they if they make the national championship you know we're going and wouldn't you know it Um, (laughs) We got on a plane and uh, met in Atlanta from three different locations and and uh, went to the national championship game in 2017. And while they didn't win, and as, as you know, as painfully as I do, and lost in, in overtime, in some ways it, it seemed fitting just because that's what I might my, my memories of Georgia football growing up was my dad always just being, you know, just blinders on about how they're going to win. And, and always uh, my brother and I getting excited and then being let down in the end. But uh, um, yeah, we're still big Georgia fans and, and uh, always will be. But uh, that's my connection to Georgia at being a, a kid. From, my dad was from the Bronx, actually. And, and wow. ended up at, at University of Georgia because they had a, a great food science program.
0: You know, they do. They still do. It's, uh, it's a great place to go for that degree and journalism for me as well. So it it worked out really well. And, uh, me, me being a guy from, uh, Indianapolis, I was an odd fit down there as well, but it was, it became another home and it was great. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a good school to root for, and we're hoping for, uh, for one of these years to be uh, surprised. I, I think one of the, it's going to be the season we don't expect that they finally break through. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, obviously the
1: Yankees and, and the Bulldogs, are our, our, our two teams seem to get closer closer, uh-huh. closer each year. Which one do you think is going to get there first?
0: Uh, probably the Yankees. But I, I, I don't think anybody feels sorry for us as Yankees fans. No. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but uh, I'm just glad it wasn't the Astros this year. That's the, the only... <laughs> Not a doubt. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Nothing against the city of Houston, just uh, that team was...
1: It, was... it was nice to see the Red Sox season this year. That was nice.
0: It was, yeah. That was nice too, yeah. Nice and, and and I have no problem rooting for the Dodgers, you know. It's a no, yeah. for the Dodgers. I like
1: to see them win. That was good.
0: Yeah. Well, Ari Supran, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. My today. pleasure.
1: Great to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, good luck with everything. And also, thanks to everybody for joining us. Be sure to comment, share, or subscribe to the podcast. And you can check out all the latest residential tech news at restechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.